I don't know if you knew this, but the world of podcasting is massive. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the host of CBC's Podcast Playlist. There is such a constant avalanche of new releases, it can be hard to keep up. Luckily, Podcast Playlist can help. Every week, we deep dive into the podcast world to find the most compelling stories. And every month, we'll give you a sneak peek into the hottest new releases so you can stay ahead. Tune in to Podcast Playlist on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. be aching does it does it hurt yeah to, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the morning you wake up the ribs is full of pain when i come here it is not the country i expected my friends from kenya yeah. tanzania uganda many of us from nigeria we are here how many of you sleep here every night we are almost 100 plus this summer a humanitarian crisis played out on the streets of downtown toronto With city and federal shelters at capacity, dozens of asylum seekers resorted to camping on the sidewalk in the busy entertainment district, sleeping outside in blistering heat and through thunderstorms for weeks. For the last 21 days, our brothers and sisters have been sleeping on the streets of Toronto. Last week, the federal government announced a one-time $212 million injection into an existing program that helps provide temporary housing to refugee claimants. And most of that funding is earmarked for Toronto. But the city's mayor and the premier of Ontario want more, a lot more. Finding the space, funding the space, setting it up, especially if it's an emergency situation, we just don't have that kind of uh, expertise to do so. You can't just drop people and say, okay, we're, we're all done. It doesn't work that way. Now, it's not clear yet how this will all play out. But what we do know is that thanks to mostly Black-led community organizations and faith groups, about 200 asylum seekers are now staying at two churches in North York. I'm Shannon Higgins. I'm a producer here at FrontBurner. And today, we'll be visiting one of those churches to hear from the refugee claimants themselves. Okay, so we're here at Dominion Church International Toronto in North York. That's like in the northwest end of Toronto. And um, from the outside, the church looks a bit like an office building. We're next to a very busy road. And this is one of two churches housing a lot of people who have been living on the sidewalk. So we're about to go in to meet some refugee claimants who have been finding shelter here. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Hi. I'm Shannon. I listen to you. My name is Samuel Okisitu. Uh, here, Dominion Church to me is home. I am a community advocate who understands the community and its needs. That's Samuel. He's a volunteer who welcomed us when we arrived. And not that long ago, he relied on Dominion Church for survival. In the very first beginning of my life in Canada, I, I came as a refugee in this place, a political refugee belonging to the People Power Movement. Samuel is a refugee from Uganda, and his support of a pro-democracy, 
anti-corruption political movement made him a government target. He came to Canada in 2019, and during the pandemic, things got so tough, he ended up living out of a small back room at the church. So he knows exactly how it feels to be new to a country and have nowhere to sleep. I worked as a, a PSW, and one woman before her death told her mother that, hey, there was an angel in my room, a man from Africa. Uh, his name is Samuel. He comes from Uganda. That humbles me. And I understand there are so many unsung angels. These angels are refugees like myself. It means that there are so many other angels, really, who have been hit hard by COVID-19, hit by hard by the sunshine on the streets, hit by the rain or the snow. These people need our love. They need our compassion. They need us to open our doors to see that they feel a home away from home. As we get to talking, Samuel tells me that the church actually rents this space for about $6,000 a month. And he offers to show us how they've managed to convert their worship space into a shelter. It would be okay. It would be okay to walk along with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're heading into the sanctuary? Yeah, we're heading into the sanctuary and the... Okay, so we're in the heart of the church. It's a big open room. It looks a little bit like an office building that's been converted into a church. And there's a stage at the front. Um, There's some crosses. And there are dark purple chairs where people have been sleeping. The situation's very makeshift here. There's like a food area at the back. There's some pizza that's been delivered and um, I can see some bananas and people are moving a microwave in now, I assume, to heat some stuff up. And there's just people kind of hanging out with their belongings. There's some makeshift beds on the ground. And later tonight, there will be a room full of people trying to get some rest here. Samuel says that more than 100 people will be sleeping in the church that night, maybe more. And looking around, the church is clearly trying its best with the resources they have. But the space just isn't set up for this level of need. Because we lack storage, we are forced to really just have these curtains cover the things we use, uh, as you may see. So this is like a food area? It's kind of food area. We have the the food bank trying to really help members uh, with food donations. But we don't have storage even if we got members who respond to send donations here. But we, this is how we squeeze everything to try to make it happen. You can see. Well, there's tomatoes and we're yeah, looking tomatoes, at some melons. Uh, watermelons. But there's not a lot of space here. Yeah, not a lot of space. Yeah. This is our small bedroom, which has been turned, turned into you know, a place for, for accessories or t- toiletries or... Uh, so I'm seeing there's some vitamins and some toothpaste, a little bit of deodorant, yes. some soap, toothbrushes. But there's not a, a lot compared to how many people are here. We have more than 100 people right now, but the number is still growing because every day we have a drop-in. But remember, we have no single coin from the government. 
community members are bringing food. Us volunteers are rendering our hours. We cancelled our shifts. So that is where we are. We strongly believe that uh, the government has uh, announced a funding. We continue to appeal to the concerned parties to say that let the people in need, the ones who need these resources to receive them, let there not be the so-called bureaucracy, let it not be another bigger process of really attaining this money to really um, care for the needs, like food, clothing, and other utilities, whether hygiene, whether sanitary pads for the, for the women. Now, after showing us around, Samuel introduced us to a woman wearing this blue Superman t-shirt. She stood out because she was older than most of the people in the room. And she was just settling in. She'd only just arrived at the church that very morning. Hello, Mama. You good? Good. You okay? I'm okay. Now, take the opportunity to share with the... Uh, uh, wonderful people from CBC. Yes, you know. I'm okay talking to you. I'm called uh, Rose. I'm from Kenya. As we get to talking, we find out that her full name is Rosa Opio. She's 63 years old, and as she moisturizes her hands with lotion, she tells us what drove her to leave home. I left Kenya, you know, I lost my husband. But you know, there are some people uh, in our culture, when your husband dies... They inherit you, the brother to, to your husband. So he was treating me very bad, kicking me, beating me all the time. When he's drunk, he's beating me, and one day he told me that I will kill you. So when I heard of that, I said no. So when I went to church, I, 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 went, just, I was in just a small church. So when I went to church, I wanted to stay there. They said, eh, this man, he will come here and then uh, fight us here because he's a drunkard man. So I could not stay in the church, I could not stay in anywhere. If I go to my sister's, he comes there, he's saying, let us go back home, why are you staying here? So I decided to leave the place. Then I decided to come to Canada. I said, I prayed God helped me until I, I got the way to come. Rosa tells us she's been in Canada for about a month. But like most people in that church, she just couldn't find a steady place to stay at night. Today I'm feeling very, very good. I'm, and I'm happy, my daughter. I'm happy. Because I've been just going around, walking in the streets, here and there. I call the, the centers I don't get. Uh, I was just roaming around, going up and down, looking for the center where, where I can go. But I failed to get. Sometimes I, I just sleep somewhere. You can't even understand. So I, I, I was suffering like that. It was suffering. So today I can, I, I can count this is a blessing to me. Tell us a little bit about what you you have with you here, like what belongings you have with you. Oh, my belongings. Uh, I have, uh, anyway, I only have my clothes here. Uh, I have my clothes and uh, 
my phones. I have uh, just clothes and phones. I have nothing again. Uh, or I can open for you, you check, you, you see. Uh, okay. But yeah. you have so it's just like a small bag and then another sort oh, of tote bag. I have bag. this one. I also have this one. This one here. So mm. a towel and yeah, this is a towel and uh, this, there's a bag inside here uh, with my small, small things. Yes, I have small, small things here. Mm, like medicine, which I took because I'm suffering from blood pressure. After Rosa showed us all her things, before we said goodbye, she asked if we could take a selfie with her, which we did. And then I had one last question. What are you hoping for? Uh, what I'm hoping for is that if I can get a, somewhere to stay, hmm? and I get uh, some little work, I do. And then I continue with the life. Yes, that is what I'm, I'm hoping to do. If uh, I can get the papers, mm. I stay in, in Canada, uh, then I continue with the life. My name is Brian Masai, a Kenyan refugee, currently is seeking asylum in Canada. That's Brian, the next person we met at the church. He's a younger man, back home, he's a journalist. And as we sat down, he showed us his sleeping arrangements, which was basically a bunch of chairs lined up in a row. What you're looking at here basically is my queen bed. So the queen bed is... um. It's like six chairs. Yeah, one, two, three, four, so basically eight, eight chairs. So how's your back doing? Um, compared to where we were, um, this, is, this is heaven. Brian tells us he's been in Canada for about six weeks, but only arrived at the church a couple of days ago. Have you ever been to, to a desert where there's basically no one you know? There's no one you can basically just reach out to, and it's even for conversation. It's very sad that, unfortunately, besides the housing and every other basic commodity, the mental health as well of most of the refugees is is not good. What about you? Like, how are how are you feeling? I have to be strong, you know. It's, it's an African thing not to show pain, and that's why you see that if you look at the faces of most of us. The resilience on our faces, um, the willingness to, to bear pain and long hours of basically cold. So you can imagine the mental state. There are people here who their minds are not here. People have depression here already. I mean, they're running away from problems back at home. And you get here, you start questioning yourself. I mean, why, why, why? Is there a future here really? But. Thank God, right now, at least there's some, some light at the end of the tunnel, some gleam of hope. I know here there's more help, but previously, have you been having a hard time getting a meal? Thank God, uh, here we are able to at least get three meals a day before a meal a day, and it, it's when it comes by. If it doesn't come by, 
just uh, survive on water. Thank God, water has been readily available, at least. And I, 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 I think about that past. At some point, I set up three nights with no sleep. Because I'm not sure who's sleeping next to me. I'm, people are having nightmares there. Others are shouting. Others, you know, we're not even sure of where you'll be the next day, where you will sleep. You know, that uncertainty. That you're not even sure if wherever you will sleep, you won't lose your belongings. You won't lose your documents, you know. So it's been a very, very rough patch. Brian is not comfortable sharing why he had to flee his home. But he does tell us that he's been offered legal assistance here in Canada. And he guesses that everyone at the church has at least started the paperwork for claiming asylum. He says he wants to get a job, become a taxpayer, maybe even start a family one day. And despite everything he's gone through, Brian was still hopeful about his choice to come to Canada. When you left home, did you have any expectations for how this process would be once you got to Canada, or were you, were you just unsure? It was sort of a step in the dark. Wow. Um, did you think it would be better? By all standards, yes. Compared to where we're coming from and what is happening, oh no, this this is this is heaven. And you know the the legal justice system here and uh, the immigration system here is straightforward, you know? Despite the, the timings and probably a few delays here and there, you can actually track the process of what is happening, you know? You can, you, you can basically follow up and know where your process, where your application is, what, what stage is it, it, it is at. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk now about some of the politics at play here. In Toronto, the shelters are full, with more than a third of the 9,000 beds filled by refugee and asylum seekers. And according to the city, up to 45% of newcomers who turn to the shelter system get turned away. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the federal government already announced a one-time $212 million injection This is into an existing program that helps provide temporary housing to refugee claimants. Most of that money, like $97 will go to Toronto. And Immigration Minister Sean Fraser says this funding should be more than enough. 
Uh, our projections indicate that uh, the $97 million that the City of Toronto can expect after today's announcement is more than enough to cover the interim housing costs for some of the uh, vulnerable asylum seekers who they're dealing with in their shelter system. And of course, we're... Last week, Minister Fraser also pointed out a significant federal distinction between funding for asylum seekers and funding for refugees. Uh, look, this is really important to understand because over the past uh, number of days and weeks uh, as this uh, story has unfolded, uh, there's been a lot of people conflating asylum seekers and refugees. And it's really He says that Canada has existing programs that directly support refugees, the ones who are brought here through federal programs, and that the government wants to improve things permanently with some sort of new model to support people who arrive seeking safe haven. Now, back in Toronto, the new mayor, Olivia Chow, welcomed the federal funding, but called it a short-term stopgap that won't meet the needs of refugees. We know the $97 million will only shelter 2,000 refugees, and there are a lot more coming, so we need a long-term solution. Toronto and Ontario have both announced $6.67 million in one-time funding to the Canada-Ontario Housing Benefit. It's an effort to free up shelter space. And in a classic case of strange bedfellows, Olivia Chow and Doug Ford have teamed up to request another $26.7 million in funding, along with a lot more resources. So the, the feds, number one, have to pay up uh, the, the city of Toronto. And this is where myself and the mayor uh, agree 100%. They owe the city of Toronto $150 million. The feds have to speed up the working permits. You can't have these people sitting around for, you know, what is it? They told me uh, four months, four or five more months. That's unacceptable. The feds need to have set up shop here in Ontario and start giving these people working permits. Before we move on, It's worth noting that according to Ontario's fiscal watchdog, the province does have money, with a recent $500 million budget surplus. And it's predicted that Ontario will have multi-billion dollar annual surpluses in the future. Back at Dominion Church, I asked Samuel for his thoughts on the political fight and what he'd like to see from all levels of government, starting with the city. Olivia Cho says that the immigration issue is a federal, a federal responsibility. But actually, we see a housing issue because we have already had a housing crisis, which requires the municipality to come in the city. You know, every stakeholder really bring together their hand and see. Do you think the federal government's doing enough? Well, I want to say that, first of all, when we went to the streets, we went to see that uh, um, the federal government really comes up, not with just handouts, but with a hand up. We are doing everything we are doing with the little or no resources. As you may see, this is a rented place. And at a certain point, we saw ourselves breaching the, the laws of the landlord, the tenants agreement. Like the landlord formally said that this place is not supposed really to house people. But uh, talking about the funding from the government, it seems that there are no funding. In this case, we've seen low-income and racialized groups 
being or bearing the brunt of this whole process or this whole uh, fight. But the question is that will that money be used to back up or to fund the vision of the, for example, the vision of the Dominion Church International Toronto, where we we have like a, uh, the vision of a community center and then establishing this community center so that we are resourced enough to really encounter any other would-be crisis. Mm -hmm. if, if we do not look at that and then we look at, the, uh, let's say, hotels, we are now making the rich more richer because these hotels belong to housing developers and, you know, the dons of the city versus the people who have faced it rough. And I would really say that federal government, listen, listen, and listen. Listen to the cries of people who leave their places, their homes, uh, with the push factors which have not been attended to, the pull factors or the welcoming factors should be really addressed to make us have a hope because we run Ontario. We are in the cleaning places. We are in the, we are in the, 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 the factories. We are in the hospitals doing PSW, you know. It is not fair to make the rich richer and the poor poorer in a country that is considered to be a self-haven. And the question comes, is Canada still a self-haven? All that is for us to answer in times like this. So when we published this episode, hundreds of people were still sleeping at those two North York churches. And I spoke to one community organizer who said she's not sure what will happen. All she knows is that more asylum seekers keep showing up at the church. But one thing is for sure. This is a growing international issue that goes far beyond Toronto's borders. According to the UN Refugee Agency, at the end of 2022, nearly 109 million people were forced to flee their homes thanks to persecution, conflict, violence, and human rights violations. And 76% of those refugees and people in need of international protection were hosted in low- and middle-income countries. That's all for today. I'm Shannon Higgins. Thank you for listening to FrontBurner. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.